We're here on the first team college football show. I'm Joe DeLeon, joined by former NFL and college QB Matt Sims. Today, we've got a lot to cover. Second half of the show, we're going to get an update from Ryan Roberts at the NFL Combine and an update on the Jalen Carter situation. But today, first off, we are going to be discussing the happenings for a major major quarterback recruit Matt I know we're excited to dive in on this guy Dylan Rayola a lot going on with him for the 2024 cycle Matt how are we doing today doing well sir how are you I'm doing great I'm excited to get into this Dylan Rayola stuff so like we've we've kind of spent a little bit of time during this offseason yeah hitting on some various topics some speculation topics some ranking topics some grading topics for these coaches but I think we're going to now turn the page a little bit with talking about this 2024 recruiting class. And there's no better way to start it off than with the guy who has been discussed as the de facto number one player in the class. I, of course, am talking about Dylan Rayola, who is currently in speculation to possibly end up at Nebraska. There's possibility of him end up going up to Georgia. Was at Mm -hmm. one point committed to Ohio State, and that appears to no longer be on the table. So, Matt, I want to dive into first talking about this guy and just breaking him down as a player, looking at his highlights, what he brings to the to the table as a prospect. What caught your eye when you were watching him? The first thing that pops out when you're watching his film is just that he's a grown man already on the high school field. I mean, he's a guy that is listed as 6'3", 220 pounds, and he looks every inch and every pound of it on the football field. I mean, he just looks like a pro football quarterback on a high school level field already, just with his physical presence standing back there in the pocket. The other thing that really jumps out when you're watching is just his ability to flick the football down the field with tremendous ease and power. I mean, there's a few clips where he throws the football, it seems like just about 60 yards, and it doesn't even look like he's putting his all into it. So there is obvious just arm talent and arm power uh, that goes along with his, his presence and his athleticism. And he's just one of those dudes that's been put on earth to throw things, man. So it was whether he was being an Olympic javelin thrower, you know, or the greatest rock skipper in the world across, you know, some lake, man. I mean, this dude just knows how to sling the football. Still see a little rawness as far as his, you know, ability to just drop back and dissect defenses. But that's just high school football, you know. And high school football, they're making it easy on him. They're letting him just take advantage of his tremendous assets athletically. Um, but as you continue to watch him and his growth, especially for this season, want to see a little bit more uh, decision making, going through reads, finding the number two or three read, you know, more often, which in, in today's high school football isn't asking much. Um, you know, we start to see that a little bit more with certain high schools have that ability to do that. We know that he has just unbelievable talent, but that's something that going forward, you know, want to see that progression and that next step for him as a football player. Yeah, Rayola, you see the physical traits and a lot of the things that tend to put these guys in the top ranking. He kind of checks a lot of those boxes, you know, the athleticism, for sure, sure. the, the very, very easy arm talent of those things that you talked about there for painting this picture of this guy. If we were to compare him, maybe, and I know, you know, we, we always, we try to put this into really good perspective of like, how would he compare to an Arch Manning who was the number one recruit in the previous class? And there was some speculation that some thought that Arch maybe shouldn't have been that number one guy, but maybe if we compared him to a Nico Ayamalavea, how Mm -hmm. far along do you think a guy like Dylan Rayola is compared to those guys? 
Yeah, well, th- that's a great example as far as the, the yin and yang at this of this discussion. With Arch, you did see them running an offense that was well thought and well designed, and him going through and making decisions like you would see a, a next level quarterback doing. Whereas with Dylan's case right now, I think you just see a, a, a little bit more of a simplified offense. And of course, I'm watching the highlights, so I'm seeing just highlight plays. But you're seeing more so of just great one-on-one throws down the field with just tremendous power and accuracy, which is a tremendous ability in itself. Um, you're seeing throws that, you know, movement in the pocket and and stuff where uh, plays are being broken down and he's escaping and making great throws on the run. You know, the difference between him and Arch is just, you know, you, you can see his natural athleticism pour out through the film much more easily. You could see that he just has a very dynamic, strong arm as compared to Arch. But in the other aspect of it, you saw Arch make good decisions. You saw him go through, you know, the progression of his reads, seeing the defense and making footwork and the throw match each other, which, of course, like all great evaluators, like our quarterback evaluators love to see, right, is the footwork and the, and the eyes match each other. And you see that a lot with Arch and what he's done at his school. So that's where for Dylan, I hope that there's more of that as I look deeper into his film um, and and hopefully see that more too going forward in the future for him as far as his development. Yeah, and I know we have that extra season for for Arch and Ayam Oliveira and and Malachi Nelson, but uh, again, you still see, I I was frankly a little bit more impressed, if anything, with just the physical tools, not the For sure. maybe the development, but the tools in general, all the things that you're talking about there, like yeah. the deep ball accuracy was really fun in the highlights, which is always really fun to see. And mm-hmm. that's what attracts us to certain quarterback prospects. But like, And, and that's, that's what's most important for the high school level too, which a lot yeah. of people have to understand. I mean, there's guys out there that are, are great decision makers in high school. I mean, it, you can even look back at uh, Sean McVay when he was coming out of high school in Georgia. He was a great quarterback that played really well at the position. Yeah. But there's the physical traits of other players that are in the same class as him that you just can't deny those things. And you have to take a chance on them and developing that. And then when you get to college, going into the pros, that's where you want to see the mental and the physical match each other going forward. So in high school, it's all about raw talent. And this guy, Dylan, has unbelievable raw talent as a thrower. So that's like a really good setup here to talk about the raw talent that he brings to the table. Mm -hmm. And it's a good juxtaposition for talking about Arch because some argue that Arch is more now ready to play than most other recruits, but maybe doesn't have the raw tangible skills compared to other guys in his previous class. And then also compared to Rayola. So like if we were looking at a guy like Rayola and I know, again, we still have one more year left of him to play, but is there, if he takes that, that step that we're hoping for and that improvement that you just talked about that you need to see from him, I know it kind of depends on where he goes. If he goes to Georgia, there's going to be a little bit more of a fight. If he goes to Nebraska, it might be a little bit more of an open door for him to step onto the field sooner. But just from what you've seen so far, and if he takes that step forward, is this a guy that you'd be willing to start as a true freshman, or do you think it's a little too soon for that? I would say that at Georgia, he would have to be 
someone that would be groomed to the position maybe a little bit more just because of the demands of a week-to-week basis as far as Georgia's expectations and Georgia's competition level. Whereas I think at Nebraska, I think he can go in and play right away, and there really is no expectation level for them right now. The expectation is just overall improvement of the organization and just progress. You know, where stepping into the shoes of a of a Stetson Bennett and and all that stuff and going in there and playing right away as far as the success that they've had at Georgia recently, I think would be a lot for a young man to walk into and take advantage of. Um, at the same time, though, you know, I think about like our discussions with Brock Purdy this past year. I mean, that's a guy that played a ton of football at Iowa State and they were a bowl eligible team just about every mm-hmm. year. And he got a ton of experience, and every week he was getting a lot of throws. He was learning how to make great football plays. He was learning from his mistakes and developing as a quarterback each and every week. And I think for Dylan at Nebraska, it will be very similar. A guy that's going to get a ton of experience. He's not going to have anyone chomping at his heels to take his spot. He's going to be able to learn from those mistakes, improve, and also help the program grow as he grows with it. So to then transition here to talking about his potential of where he could end up. Right. At one point, he was committed to Ohio State, as I said earlier. He decommits. And now there seems to be a bit of a tight race between Nebraska and Georgia as Nebraska has had this late surge onto the scene for his recruitment and some I mean it sounds like if you read a lot of different websites I know that this early on in the process it's so inconsistent what each site is saying but it sounds like Nebraska has a legitimate shot of maybe pulling Dylan Riola here with the other schools that are, are, are on the table Oregon and USC are some of the warmer schools if you look at some of his projection lists Mm -hmm. but for for Riola um, this Nebraska option seems really interesting to pay attention to because his dad was an All-American center, Dominic Rayola. His uncle, Donovan Rayola, is the offensive line coach. It's actually funny if you look on 24-7 sports, it says who recruits each guy, and it says it's his uncle who's the one <laughs> tasked with recruiting him. So It better be. Yeah. R- right. That might be a little awkward if you just kind of happen to see your uncle and your uncle's not the one who's picking up the phone every other right. day. And I'm right. sure he's calling him frequently to try to try yeah. and sway him uh but he was at a basketball game this past weekend at nebraska mm-hmm. he was on his uh one of his visits at nebraska talking specifically nebraska and then we're going to get to georgia what kind of an impact would this be for for matt rule in his first year to pull the top recruit and how could this maybe impact the trajectory of a program that has frankly done a, a very weak job in recruiting over the past few coaching cycles it would be a tremendous uplift for the entire program for matt rule to land uh such a a large great white shark you know with his first recruiting cycle like this and it would be extremely exciting obviously for the nebraska fan base and uh it, it really is you can read some of the quotes from dylan just his his feelings towards the nebraska fan base how his family feels about them right that environment that nebraska brings uh, is truly special. And uh, and I can relate to that too because my brother tells a great story about how he went to Nebraska when he was at Texas and they were walking down the tunnel. And when you're walking into the tunnel into the game, there's Nebraska fans on either side of you as you're walking in. 
And at first he goes, man, all right, here we go. We're about to get heckled here because he's used to environments like Texas A&M and, you know, the Red <laughs> River shootout with Oklahoma fans and all that. And he said that the Nebraska fans were shaking his hand and were like, oh, come man. on, Sims, have a great game. Let's go. Give us a show, man. We can't <laughs> wait to watch you guys play and compete. And he just couldn't get over the the positive enthusiasm they had to just watch really good football and to compete at the highest level. It wasn't a hatred. There was a an appreciation and a gratitude for for just going out there and competing against each other. And he just thought that was a special, special thing. I, I would argue, I don't know about you, but that would be more rattling for me than if somebody was saying something <laughs> right. negative. I'd right. be like, what's wrong with them? Like, what am right. I missing here? Why are they being yeah. so nice to me? That's no a, doubt. You're right. A it's, a, it's, it's a total flip. It, it's very similar to, uh, you know, my father when he got sacked by Reggie White back in the day. And Reggie just saying, man, I'm sorry about this, you know, but I'll see you in the next play. Uh, you know, that's like more intimidating than, you know, somebody talking smack for sure. No, that's that's great. But the for again, for him to pull uh, and end up at Nebraska, I, I'm actually kind of rooting for this. Uh, and yeah. For him to end up at a program where he's got a family tied to and instead to continuously feed the same programs with the top guys, I, I think that this could be the shakeup that we need in the Big Ten. I really do that if he ends yeah. up at this program, I don't think that this is a circumstance where he shows up and doesn't live up to the expectations. He's going into a coaching staff that has – or playing for a coach that has a track record of building really competitive rosters. And I think right. that this is a piece that Matt Rule didn't have at Baylor, obviously never had a top overall recruit, that would put him over the top and make them a really, really highly competitive team right. showing up and putting up fights against Wisconsin, Michigan, and Ohio State. That's exactly what they need. It's exactly what they need, and it's really it, it is an interesting place that Nebraska is in. And I think any of us who have been following the game for a really long time, and this is a perfect time where Ryan would be like, "Joe, you're too young to remember this." <laughs> um, but Nebraska is just one of those cultures that you do think about as far as winning and and being a football community that is so invested in it, like we think about other communities like that, like in Iowa, that has so been on the cusp for such the longest time, right? We obviously think of the Ohio State and Michigans of the world, but Nebraska, you know, for the longest time was right there winning national championships and, and in the forefront of the game and what the game uh, means to everyone, right? As being just a great role model for young football players and playing team football. And uh, I think for Matt Rule to be able to accomplish that uh, would be a tremendous uh, feat uh, for his resume that is already uh, super impressive. And and he's a guy that is a, a molder of men. And despite his failures at the NFL level, he was close to getting over the hump you know, with the Carolina Panthers, certain things, the quarterback position, all that obviously didn't help, but he is a good football coach. He has a proven track record, especially at the college level. And I like the fact that he's gotten guys like Satterfield and EJ Barthel, um, the offensive coordinator, running back coach that were with him at Temple that helped him build his career to what it is today. So he's putting a lot of good pieces together uh, to, to improve this Nebraska Cornhuskers uh, future. Matt, I've got a little bit of a tinfoil hat theory with, with Georgia. So I, I don't know if I think that Georgia in the long term with the history of their quarterback position makes a lot of sense for Rayola. Like in theory, yes, them getting another okay. five-star kid at any position 
is great for them. And I'm sure that that Kirby Smart really wants to have another like, guy like that on their roster. But I look at the history of having Justin Fields on the roster, the physically more talented player, and them going with Jake Fromm, who was still highly recruited, but not as highly recruited as Justin Fields. Justin Fields leaves. And then there were mm-hmm. other guys like JT Daniels that were on the roster, and they ended up going with Stetson Bennett. Part of me feels like, and it's kind of the the Nick Saban circumstance of not every single year, but a lot of times he likes to lean on guys who very specifically fit the style of play that they like to play. And even mm-hmm. with the talent on the roster, it seems like he still leans, Kirby still leans on guys that maybe aren't highly recruited, aren't the most dynamic and explosive guys if they're inconsistent for whatever matter. Right. Maybe it's happening during practice. So, I mean, with that in mind, like, what do you think? Like, do you think that's enough for, for Rayola to consider – it might not make the most sense for him to go and play at a Georgia with the track record that they've had at, at quarterback. It's a really good point, Joe. And it is really interesting. The, the, the thought of it, when you really look back through their years now, and thank you for raising that thought because I, I did not think about it to that extent, but you're right. They, they do not seem to let, they don't get held down by the stars that are brought in where I think with Nick Saban, that's actually kind of been the opposite, you know, with him lately. You know, when he gets a high-level recruit, that guy's playing right away, you know, for the most part. And Kirby does not seem to kind of hold himself to to that standard or to be held down by that weight at all. So, yeah, that's a really interesting take on that. I think for Dylan, you know, and really for the quarterback position in general, it, it's it's really more so about just reps and playing. It really is. It really doesn't matter if you're winning national championships at the end of the day. We've seen so many, and I know that's like crazy to say, right? Because it's like you want to win. But at the same time, the development of the position, it, it far exceeds, you know, the the titles that you receive, right? Or that you win. And this is why you see so many guys every year uh, who win the Heisman Trophy at the college level, but are just you know, missing certain things that they need to, 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 to be a great NFL quarterback, right? Joe Burrow really recently is kind of one of the outliers, I think, of that, right? Is that he's the guy that does, doesn't have the physical, you know, talent like a Dylan Rayola, yeah. right? He's still extremely talented. He fits more so of what we're talking about with, with Arch. He plays the position extremely well and makes great decisions, but, you know, for, for Dylan, it's all about developing himself as a football player, right, more importantly than, you know, winning a national championship and just being a part of, you know, the machine. Now, and I know that's a crazy take, but at the quarterback position, that really is the most important thing, especially if you have dreams of playing in the NFL. What place is going to be, going to be the best opportunity to improve each and every day at the position what place is going to allow me to improve with multiple reps in games, in practices, to learn, to make mistakes, to make mistakes without the fear of being, you know, of being hooked off the field. And, um, and, and I think that's where like Nebraska has a huge advantage of that freedom to, to give him that ability to go out there and make those mistakes freely and to learn from them and then to improve from there. It's going to be one of the highly covered one of the more highly covered yeah. recruiting cycles uh, for any prospect that we'll see. And uh, maybe not as much as Arch, but still it is going to be one that we're going to be tracking very, very closely right. at Joe DeLeon, at Sims Complete QB. We're going to be back with more 
uh, on this show. And also, we'll be back next week with more college football recruiting, NFL draft analysis coming your way. Welcome back, everybody. Joe DeLeon here with Ryan Roberts. Ryan Roberts is on the scene at the NFL Combine. We've got a lot that we're going to talk about in regards to the NFL draft, uh, particularly an update regarding the Jalen Carter situation. Also going to get some thoughts on uh, Ryan's situation and things that are going down uh, at the NFL Combine. We tried, Ryan. We tried. We only got the 500 likes. I was not able to to make make the trip. Not to not to we, rub we, it in too much. We still have time. We still have time. It's not over yet. Well, how am I supposed to drive to for something that's <laughs> going to take me two days if it doesn't get done by the end of today? That's I'm going to get there at the, at the end of the drills on Sunday. Like <laughs> my, my my favorite comment on that thread was Joe. There's a thing called an aeroplane that uh, <laughs> people have invented. That they didn't you, get the bit. They didn't understand the bit. The bit was they that didn't. I tried to book a flight. They were nine hundred dollars, and I was like, okay, this doesn't this doesn't make sense. And the joke was. I will drive, which is outrageous if it got a thousand likes. But uh, you, ca- you call yourself there. you call yourself an NFL draft analyst, man. I'm getting all the scoop and intel here, and you're just sitting in Cali <laughs> drinking mai tais by the beach and do whatever the heck you do, man. There, I will be there next year. There were extenuating circumstances that prevented it from from happening, but Ryan, I will be there next year. Um, separate from that, though. You are at the NFL Combine, and you have discussed with me, and you've talked to me. You've already been getting some some scoops, and and we're gonna talk about the biggest headline, obviously, the Jalen Carter stuff towards the end of this. But what have you been hearing? Is there anything that's kind of stood out to you, or just things that in general you want to pay attention to during the week that you're excited to to get caught up on? I mean, it, you know, there's I mean, there's a lot of things, honestly, man. Like I went out last night, and it's just. We went to one spot in particular where I just felt like the information was flowing, man, just like flowing out there. But I, I think that the, the cool thing today was that there was some media availability, obviously, right? So you got a chance to talk to some of the defensive linemen, some of the linebackers on the podium. And it, I came away with a lot of tidbits I think are pretty exciting. I, I think the first one, Joe, if I may, mm-hmm. I want you to picture a young Miles Murphy in your in your mind for a second. All right. Picture picture a Miles Murphy in your minds at six foot five, 275 pounds. They asked him, Miles, what are some goals you have this week? He responded, I want to run four five five in the 40 at 275 pounds. Four five five. Is he gonna run a four five five? He said that was his goal, man. Is he wants to run a mid four five at the wow. combine this week? And uh, I mean, if he said it so confidently, I am led to believe that he must be testing in that ballpark, <laughs> like coming up to the event, you know, which he, is just—he's that good of an athlete. I could, I could totally seeing that, see that being a, a realistic possibility for Miles Murphy. I, I think it could happen. I mean, he, he again, man, he was very confident about it. He talked a lot about his body transformation as well, which I thought was super interesting. You know, he he came to Clemson at 265 pounds. He said that uh, that he got up actually to um, so no, he was yeah, so he's 265 during his freshman year, like before his freshman year, because he early enrolled. He got up to 280 pounds. He said he said, but it was not a good 280 pounds. He said he went from like. 12 percent body <laughs> 12 percent body fat to like 18 percent body fat in one offseason man because he was just eating and eating and eating but now he's back down to he said he's 272 pounds with like 13 percent body fat right now so he's had like a little bit of a 
body transformation over the last couple couple years. And man, if he runs four five five, though, I mean, he's not getting out of the top five. I don't think he will. Yeah, no, he's a, a freaky athlete, especially with some of this reshuffling potentially on the on the board. Miles Murphy, strangely, has been kind of discounted with guys like Tyree Wilson, who's not testing, and guys like Lucas Van Ness surging up boards. Uh, what were some of the other rumblings you've kind of been getting, or just things that you've that has caught your attention so far in Indy? I love Nick Herbig from Wisconsin's media availability. Man, he was. He was energetic. He was entertaining. I didn't know much about him other than, you know, he's a Hawaii kid, right? Like he went to St. Louis in the state of Hawaii. You know him and Jordan Batelho for Notre Dame. You know Batelho? Mm-hmm. They were actually teammates at St. Louis in in Hawaii, and they came out the same year, dude. Can you imagine both those dudes screaming off the edge for a high school Dangerous. kid? Like, oh, man. But greatest he – had the, he had the one-liner of the day, Joe, the one-liner of the day. Maybe not actually, because Nolan Smith was like magnificent in his in his openings, um, in his opening conversations. But Nick Nick Herbig was asked, "What is your response?" I think Corey Kennan was the one that asked him this. Actually, he said, "What is your response to people that think that you're too small to play on the edge?" And his response: "Dynamite comes in small packages." That's Ooh. it. It's all he said, man. That's I was a like, spicy oh. answer right there. Like <laughs> yeah, that. man. You, you could tell that he had it prepared. You could tell that it was on his mind. But <laughs> it was great, man. It was great. It was just a one-liner. You know, he said it playfully, but you could tell that like, he's actually like, I'm serious right now. Like, I can do yeah. whatever a team needs for me to do. So I, I thought he was awesome. The other guy that I wanted to highlight because I think that he is a, a player that we've talked about a ton. Diane Henley, who is the linebacker, obviously out of Washington State, former Nevada Wolfpack. Joe, I I, I knew that he was a converted player for, to, from a different position, but I didn't know how crazy this was, man. Do you know the first position that Diane Henley played? Running back, wide receiver. He was a wide receiver. Yeah. I think he eventually switched to running back. To your points, then he went to safety and then into linebacker. I mean, that's utility, man. That's a wild, wild um, transformation as far as positions that he plays. And he would not answer the question about what he's going to run in the 40, but I've heard rumblings that it could be in the 4-4s for Diane Henley. So, yeah. That would be very, very big for Diane Henley, who has been a riser so far during this process. So that one's one's a really really fun one to pay attention to. Uh, Ryan, I want to get to the Jalen Carter stuff, though. I know that we're going to have, first of all, we're going to have individual reactions to all of the stuff that's happening at the Combine. We're going to have day-to-day reactions, so stay tuned for that. That is all going to be coming very, very soon. We do have to address the big news headline that broke on Wednesday, though, because this is going to dominate, I think, possibly the rest of the news cycle throughout the weekend regarding Jalen Carter, who was projected, and I think on our show even projected as a possible number one overall pick or at least the number one defensive player to be selected after any of the quarterbacks. So the current situation as it is, uh, after the incident in which one of his Georgia teammates and a Georgia staffer were killed in a car accident, there is now a warrant out for his arrest that he was uh, racing those individuals. And this is all alleged. There is innocent until proven guilty, obviously. But there is now a warrant out for his arrest that he fled the scene because he was racing those individuals and then apparently afterwards lied to the police about his involvement later admitting to it, but it seems like that there might have been alcohol involved and overall, and if I'm missing any details, Ryan, please 
feel free to fill in on here. But overall, a just lack of maturity, a lack of, a lack of strong decision-making, and very, very, very concerning situation here for, for, for Jalen Carter. And I think a lot of teams are going to be very careful throughout this process. It was the weirdest moment. I mean, this is my second combine, and I haven't been back since 2019. But it was – he was scheduled to, to have media availability at 10.20 Eastern time this morning. It was about 10.02, 10.03. Twitter starts getting flooded with this Jalen Carter stuff, right, Joe? And how they do it at the combine is it's incrementally how these players are put out there is every 20 minutes. So there was a group that's supposed to be at 10, 10 o'clock, and there was going to be another group that was at 10.20 that Jalen Carter was going to be a part of. For 15, 20 minutes – no exaggeration. No one came to the podiums. And I mean, mm. I'm obviously I'm sure, and this is speculation on my part, but you know, this it, you you paint you paint the picture a little bit on this one. I'm sure that there was some stuff happening behind the scenes and probably some conversations of like, hey guys, like this is happening. Let's leave this conversation alone. We're not gonna hit on this. And unfortunately, Jalen Carter was not a part of the uh, media availability today, man. So it was, uh, I mean, first and foremost, you hate when this stuff happens, right? Because at the baseline, two people died. <laughs> like, yes. L- let's not look past that, right? Like, it's not like people- a racing incident where two guys, four guys got pulled over. People right. died. People yes. died and there was alcohol involved, which just makes it a very, very scary situation. Yeah. Two people lost their lives tragically. And that's, that's the starting point that we need to mention because they they deserve that. Their families deserve that. That's that's the attention that needs to be talked about because it was a tragedy. And I felt also very badly, very, very badly for the players that were in Indianapolis at this meet availability that then had to come out like nothing was happening, like news wasn't breaking. Like the, this, this, you know, it's it's just a really because these kids, I mean, I talked about Nick Herbig earlier, right? Mm. Nick Herbig was talking about how he's been prepping for this in his mind his entire life. Like, that's his moments, right? And unfortunately, the players are, you know, inconsequently, you know, uh, uh, they're, they're affected by this. And yeah. then their moment is taken a little bit. But at the core, man, I mean – First and foremost, I think Jalen Carter, after watching the 2022 film of him and Will Anderson, because that's the conversation that's been back and forth of Will Anderson versus Jalen Carter. I think Jalen Carter is the best player in the 2023 draft just from from a pure talent level perspective and impact perspective. Like, that's my opinion. Anytime something like this happens, it's just a shame, man. Like, it really is. Because, look, you made a terrible mistake. You double down on that terrible mistake, though, by fleeing the scene and then lying afterwards. It's just not – it's just an all-around bad look at the end of the day. And there's going to be a conversation that needs to happen because, again, like you said, innocent until proven guilty. We'll wait and see all the facts when they come out because they will come out. It it always does. But my initial thought was how does this affect Jalen Carter long-term as far as where is he going to get drafted? Where is he going to get slotted? Is he going to get an opportunity? There's a lot of questions that's kind of hit your mind, but at the, at the, at the core, at the foundation, Joe, it was a terrible decision, a terrible decision. It was a, it was a tragic moment where people lost their lives and a person that was directly involved in it 
made a even worse decision than the initial decision, right? And there's a lot that needs to get combed through. There's a lot of questions that are going to be asked. There's a lot of legal actions that are going to be had. Like there's a lot of stuff here, man. And it is weird to unpack and it's weird to unround, but it's just, it's incredibly unfortunate and sad that a tragedy that we already had to deal with that Georgia football had to deal with that these families had to deal with is now coupled with the fact that there's another bad decision wrapped on top of an already bad decision that cost people their lives. It's just very unfortunate, man. Yeah. And again, this is all still alleged and everything still needs to be confirmed. Jalen Carter did release a statement in the statement. He says this morning I received a telephone call from the Athens, Georgia police department informed me that the two misdemeanor warrants have been issued against me for reckless driving and racing. Numerous media reports also have circulated this morning containing inaccurate information concerning the tragic events of January 15th, 2023. It is my intention to return to Athens to answer the misdemeanor charges against me and to make the cert- to make certain that the complete and accurate truth is presented. There is no question in my mind that when all of the facts are known, that I'll be fully exonerated any criminal wrongdoing. So I, first of all, that's a very lawyer statement, um, PR statement. I don't think that Jalen won't get to play in the NFL. Like Jalen's going to play in the NFL. But I look at two recent examples that are different but can be drawn upon. And I think that in any of these situations, we need precedent to determine how this is all going to play out. So I look one at the Lyle Collins situation, the very talented offensive lineman out of LSU who went undrafted uh, and ended up being a part of the Dallas Cowboys and has been a strong player in the NFL. But that all broke. His situation broke on draft day, around draft day, and that negatively impacted him significantly, but was able to then go on to play an NFL career after everything was fully uh, figured out and investigated and everything was properly determined of what happened in that situation. I think if that's enough for him to go undrafted, I think it's enough for Jalen Carter at the very least for him to lose and fall in the first round at the bare minimum. The other circumstance, Ryan, that I think that makes this very dangerous is what happened with Henry Ruggs a few years ago, which is not that far removed. We are not that far removed when Henry Ruggs was intoxicated, speeding, and killed somebody because he crashed his car into another individual. And I think that not the same situation, but not that far off. There is going to be a lot of speculation of if Jalen Carter was drinking during this night, what is his maturity? What is his decision-making? Are NFL teams going to be willing to bet on a guy this highly if he has done something this dumb, if if he did this, again, allegedly did this, if he actually is responsible for doing what is alleged against him, it is a huge, massive red flag in off-the-field decision-making. That is beyond immaturity. So I think that knowing what happened with Henry Ruggs and teams being very careful and afraid of that, a repetition of that, and maybe the, the thing is, too, is that if he hypothetically was drinking, allegedly drinking, and doing all of this, Guys who do this stuff don't just stop. You know, guys who make these dumb decisions, and I've been around guys and I play with guys who made dumb decisions like this, they do it consistently. And that's why NFL teams are afraid to draft guys who do one bad thing, especially something like this. So I think both those circumstances are important to play out in this in this situation. Yeah, and again, I, you know, I'm just not going to jump the gun that quickly, right? And I, I know you're doing the same, right, Joe? Like, it's, yes. it's one of those situations where not all the facts are out there. I mean, the one thing that, you know, the statement was very, 
you know, lawyery, like however you want to phrase it, 100%. I mean, it has to be, though, right? Because there's PR involved, there's agents involved, like all that stuff happens. Jay, I, the one thing that I think we can take from Jalen's statement is that we don't know all the truth. All the truth is not out there. We don't know exactly 100% what happened. We know that what happened afterward, but there's a whole course of actions, action, reaction to someone losing their life, two people losing their lives. So like what happened in that, what happened in that moment, right? Mm. Is he directly involved? Was he indirectly involved? Is it just a complete accident? Like there's a lot that's going to be involved in this conversation and a lot that we are going to unpack when it finally does, which is why I'm not sitting here and saying, don't draft him. I'm not sitting here and saying he's never going to play in the NFL. Like I'm not, I'm not sitting here and saying that what I'm saying is, is that there is a massive red flag there, obviously, right? Even if it was even if it was a bad decision and and you didn't indirectly harm someone, you know, to that degree, right? There's still now teams that are gonna have to sit down and talk deeply with Jalen Carter. Like not just like a quick question, like, hey man, what happened? He gives you an answer and it's like over with. No, like this is a legitimate heart-to-heart conversation that needs to happen if it isn't the worst-case scenario. If it is the worst-case scenario, then, man, this is going to get messy. It's going to get yeah. so messy. And it and it has to because, again, at the core, people lost their lives. Like, this isn't a small issue. Like, this is a major issue, and there was lying involved. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how everything turns out, yeah. man, like at the end of the day. But it, it's just very unfortunate. That, very unfortunate. That's the key thing I just want to reiterate there is that, like, my thoughts in bringing this up and, like, I, I, I don't know what happened. I wasn't there. And I'm also not a part of this ongoing investigation, so we don't have all this information. So just assuming these are assumptions based off of what and how NFL teams have reacted. I'm hoping that he gets cleared. I'm hoping that everything goes well because he's a very talented football player. It's not like we're talking about a guy who – uh, was maybe a first rounder. This is a guy who was in contention for the first overall pick. I think he, I'm very excited for his NFL career, but yeah. he has a lot, a lot that he has to now go through during his job interview process, which is just terrible. It's 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 terrible for him that he has to deal uh, with everything that was going on and all this, and now that is impacting his potential NFL dream. But uh, I just I hope that whatever ends up coming of this, that it is thoroughly done. The process is thoroughly done, and that the correct information is released and properly out there. Because again, to your point, this is just, there's a lot of question marks still. There's a lot of question marks, but as it looks for face value, it's extremely concerning from a prospect standpoint. Yeah. I mean, it is, I mean, this is a damaging crippling. Like there's a lot of words that you can use. If this is the worst case scenario, even if it's not the worst case scenario, there's still, it's still going to have a lot of hurdles and there's still going to be a fall. That's going to happen. Just got to get to the bottom of it at the end of the day. And it's it's a shame that we are sitting here now on, what's this, March 1st? Is that was that where we are right now? Yeah. We're on March 1st, which is less than two months away from draft day now in late in you know the late end of, of April. And there's a lot of uncertainty now. And the worst thing too, Joe, is that timing-wise, timing-wise, are we going to get all the facts by the time April comes around? Or is is this going to be something that's going to be understood and you know have a resolution by draft day? I don't think it is. No. It, you know, like it, investigations never happen gonna, this quick. Never. I, I, that's why I'm wary that it's 
it's going to hurt him because even if no matter what, like even if he's cleared again, everything's all alleged. If he's cleared, there's no way that it's going to be done in the next month and a half. Exactly. Exactly. Because those, those, those take time, man. They do. I mean, there's multiple sides and there's investigating and there's, you know, there's just going through the legal system in general. It takes forever. I mean, that's just kind of where it is. So it's, we're not going to have a resolution. So my, I mean, the biggest question then in, in that fact is if we do not have a resolution, we don't have a better understanding. Is the team willing to draft him? Right? Like, are you with that over his head without having a resolution firmly in pact and to like, it's, it's the unknown right now. And without knowing a hundred percent, where are you comfortable drafting him? Are you comfortable drafting him? I, I don't know the answer to that. It's, it's a tough call. It's a tough call right now. Yeah, we'll find out how things play out, and we've got more coming up on this show uh, throughout the weekend. But uh, thanks for everyone who tuned in. Hopefully the rest of the Combine news is a little bit more entertaining and, and a little bit we can turn the page on this and just let it play out and then eventually react to uh, whatever the, the final resolution is. But the NFL Combine is coming up, so stay tuned for more coverage coming your way at Joe DeLeon at Rising Draft.